Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Tracy Koga, and thanks for downloading this podcast from iLikeYou.com. If you can, give us a follow or subscribe. And remember that all the information about the guests in today's episode can be found at iLikeYou.com. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Hue Virtual Chat. It is a beautiful sunny day, a little chilly, but you know what? Spring is in the air and it feels so good, but there just still is this dark cloud. I don't know. I'm looking at some beautiful faces here and okay, there is this variant here, highly contagious. And again, yesterday there's rumor of possibly another third lockdown. So. I can't even picture it again, but I want to definitely talk about that. But more importantly is racism. How many times have we talked about racism and how many different forms of it? I mean, it's almost like, oh, but it's, uh, it's all over. And obviously I wanted today to talk about Meghan and Harry. I know it's probably old news. Yes, it's two weeks ago, but it's having this huge ripple effect, I think. And I didn't watch it. I actually never even saw one of the episodes, but The Bachelor, oh my goodness, what drama and what chaos over what they thought were breaking down the walls by having the first ever black man for The Bachelor. Well, that seemed to all kind of backfire on them, and oh, poor Chris Harris. <laughs> oh, you know, well, I, I, we'll talk about that too as well. but. I want to open up everybody. There's a Rana, Cynthia, so good to see you. Robin again, and Kirsten, welcome back. We missed you last week. And Linda, of course, always, always so good. And I want to welcome, ladies, uh, Susan. So I'm going to go to Susan first. Welcome to our, whatever you want to call it, Hue Virtual Chat. We've been doing this since March 2020. So here we are now. And ladies, we're almost going to hit 60, 60 episodes. So, like, we are way ahead than, I don't know, any of the talk shows right now. <laughs> but anyways, um, Susan, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm kind of interested on your whole, uh, what your title is and what it means to be a practitioner, a psychologist, positivity, and everything like that. So take it away, everybody. Susan, Susan Coots. Well, thank you, everyone. This is a, a nice surprise. I wanted to first thank Linda for inviting me here. I, hadn't, I didn't know about this until yesterday, and this is a wonderful surprise to be welcomed. So, uh, Tracy, to give you a little bit more background about what I do, my title is Positivity Practitioner. I also do coaching and, and particularly uh, self-development courses and programs. So I work in the positive psychology realm as as a well-being expert in that sense and the work that i love to do is to take the tools and the skills that we've learned about in the science of positive psychology and help people to really start to uh, learn them and put them into practice in their life so they can either go through different transitions like the one we're in now or move through times of where really need to develop more resilience or even just getting to themselves better if they're at a time when they want to connect with meaning in their life or their purpose in life um, can be used in all those different areas. So I'm uh, very passionate about that. And in particular, you know, I really enjoy working with people to help them to learn those skills. So yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> you sound like a miracle worker. <laughs> Where have um, you been? <laughs> I know. So like, I almost think that, okay, when you're trying to do this and help people so much, 
how do you help yourself? And I know Linda, is all, he, she kind of has given us tips through all her great segments. But I mean, for you, how do you find positivity in your own self? Well, I have to practice what I preach and, <laughs> and I'm going through the content that I have and I, I do regularly put in and infuse positive actions in my day. Some of the, th one of the things we did as a family when in the darkest of times in um, starting November was to light a new candle every day for COVID. We called it candles for COVID. And it was a way to come together as a family to remember what we're doing, but also to have something to look forward to and just something to brighten the day. Uh, so that's one thing that we do. I recently did a seven day happiness booster, which I do every year in the middle of February and January. So it's, it's designed to help improve and increase one's happiness and guard against depression. And this year I really needed it. You know, that, that dip of the January lockdown time and the coldness and the darkness. So, mm -hmm. you know, I did that for a week and feel much better. And I usually find it lasts till about July or August. And I notice that I'm still mm -hmm. feeling the effects of that. So there's a lot of different things that I do on a regular basis to, uh, you know, just to keep my, resiliency going like keep going keep going in times when maybe I don't always feel like it uh, eating sleeping exercise all the regular stuff but particularly a lot of the mindset work uh, I try to do so yeah well, well we'll get back to you for your expertise with the thoughts of possibly a third lockdown uh, I just yeah you know <laughs> Cynthia's shaking her head yeah I know well but okay so I'm so glad and happy Cynthia is here because she is direct where it's all happening. <laughs> Rana's shaking her head. Uh, yeah, getting the white elephant out of the room. Megan and Harry interview, reveal all. It, uh, yeah, it sounds like an episode of The Bachelor, Bachelorette, or whatever, tells all. Um, Cynthia, the ripple effect. Uh, comments from, you know, obviously the royal family and what is the buzz on the streets? Um, well, greetings from just outside London, UK. So bring, bringing it right from the ground and it's not a big discussion here. Um, the queen put out her statement. I, I would say, you know, in the six months or so that I've lived here, there's a lot of reverence and respect for the queen. Mm -hmm doesn't seem to carry to the rest of the family. So I think because she's still the head of the family and representative, they've accepted the statement. And, you know, it's certainly not making the news. It's, well, we're, we're clearly still in isolation. So we're not meeting and talking about it at the pub. Um, so yeah, at the end of the day, it's just, it, it's not on anybody's radar. The folks I'm interacting with, it's not the chat of the day. So um, I think that people acknowledge, but I've also noticed, I mean, no, nowhere I've been in all of my travels, all mm -hmm. 56 countries I've been to, nobody's perfect. But I would say the UK, because they've been dealing with the racist issue for much longer than it's really come to a head in North America, mm -hmm. they're kind of that 10, 15 years ahead. And if you go back kind of the 10, 15 years, they, everything that North America is dealing with now, Canada and the US, in terms of race and trying to get it, they're here because there's so much more integration. And I see different people in different roles that doesn't represent what I was used to back in North America. Right. Um, so I would say they are ahead, but they're only ahead five or 10 years. And, you know, I think realistically, it doesn't make a world of difference, but I can tell you representation wise, I see a difference. Yeah. And I just wanted to mention too, Cynthia, uh, um, I just read that the healthcare workers, um, that situation in England is like a powder keg, correct? Because of the low, the low wages being paid and one it was a, just a 1% increase and we uh, apparently they might be striking? Correct, yeah. So at this point, um, they have a 64 million pound, which is like $128 million. Uh, because healthcare here is national, not provincial. Mm -hmm. um, so you end up having nationally 
um, the threat of preparing for strike nationwide while we're still going through this. And um, yeah, it's not good. The government just before I arrived was completing a cycle where they'd gotten through a 12% pay increase over the last five years. And that got nursing to, to a, um, I think it was like a 10 year rate. So it's like, it, it's out of date. And so they're saying, well, no, you got to bring us into date. And to give perspective, I know nurses, North America, I think, first of all, they're all worth it, regardless what the appropriate salary in the country. But I know that, you know, an appropriate salary, as an example, in, um, you know, Winnipeg was a, a well-experienced nurse working full time, you know, might be making 60000 plus mm -hmm. um, in a senior role with all of the differentials, etc. Um, and they're worth every penny and more. Um, for it here in the UK, it's about a twenty thirty thousand pound job, which is maybe with conversion, it's about one point seven eight. It runs around a forty five fifty thousand dollar a year job. So representative, and again, the cost of living here is two x of Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very expensive. No. Yeah. So, so it is not seen in the same light. And while they're putting like two billion dollars in for a one percent pay increase after the people who just helped us get through the first year of lockdown and we're now at record levels over 25 million people vaccinated including me yeah <laughs> thank you um you know it's just unheard of and i think for anyone on the front lines healthcare, you know civic services uh public services like we just have to get our priorities right, and they're clearly not right. But, mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well, on that note, uh, Rana, your kind of perspective on Megan and Harry. Uh, are you sure you want to hear it? <laughs> oh, yes, come on. This is... You have to censor this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't Sorry. censor Kirsten, so that's okay. <laughs> Sorry. No, I... I uh... You know, and, and I and, and Cynthia, I love you and it's so good to see you always. Um, you know, I just think that there's, people get really offended. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of conversations and I talk about it a lot. You know, there's this fragility, like everyone's so fragile and their egos get so hurt uh, when people talk about historic wrongs or historic forms of oppression. Um, and then when the people who have gone through it, such as Megan, come and speak out, oh, well, you know, she's just doing this and she's just doing that, I would argue or perhaps present a different perspective on that. The amount of strength it takes for somebody in that type of traumatic, and whether we're talking about Megan or anybody else in traumatic situations, the amount of strength it takes to speak up Mm -hmm. to have a conversation, to talk about things that you are going through emotionally, your family. She's sitting there talking about wanting to end her life. Um, there, there's a lot going on there. Like, there's a lot to unpack. But if the question is, um, you know, is there racism in that institution? I don't know. Well, <laughs> we can just look to Canada and colonialism and that entire history to basically refute any denial that that the institution is based was based perhaps still is based um on some type of racial you know otherness right we're better than somebody else like we don't even have to define it any further than that we can literally just say that they believe that they as a facial color let's just very simplistically, believe that they are somehow better than somebody else. Um, and that is what racism is, you know what I mean? So for her, man, I applaud you. I applaud anyone who is willing to take the blows to talk about their trauma, to talk about racial issues, to bring it to the forefront. Not everything needs to be a battle. Not everyone needs to get their backs up against the wall. Speaking truth is always beneficial. It's beneficial for you. It's beneficial for the people you are othering. And it's beneficial for your world. 
right? So we talk about things like this as a very divisive conversation. And yes, it's a divisive conversation simply for those who are feeling offended. They're feeling offended. How dare you call out injustice? How dare you now speak to situations that we've had such a great, we've done such a great job of covering up for so long. Um, and this is not just about, you know, you know, Meghan Markle or whoever. It's just about generally speaking about race. You know, um, people just need to understand when racialized people talk about racism, you know, nobody is literally saying you, you Robin, you Cynthia, you Kristen. No one is pointing a finger directly at you. We are talking about systems. We're talking about institutions. You don't actually have to take it so personally. <laughs> Right. And I think what happens every time we talk about race, everyone thinks it's oh well, this this chick's calling me a racist. Well, your response to my trauma may actually define if you're racist or not. Right. So. So, again, there's a lot to unpack. And, you know, I'm I have no intent of, you know, mincing words or pretending that something is othering or some other way. I think that we should be very clear about uh, racial issues. I think that we should be very confident in speaking positively um, about what the future can look like if we address mm -hmm. them properly. You know, not everything, ha we don't have to live in this. We don't have to live in this, this, this situation, but we have to acknowledge it to be able to get out of it, all of us. Whether mm -hmm. you're white, brown, indigenous, black, doesn't matter. We have to work through it together and get out of it. But if everyone's gonna start getting up offended by it and offended, <laughs> you're the wrong person to get offended, but okay, it's gonna be a problem. We're not gonna get through it. No, oh, it's going to take a lot of work. <laughs> Linda, I was going to ask you, um, was Oprah the right person to do this? Was Oprah, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I thought she was brilliant. I mean, I watched the, I sat down just kind of going, ah, I'll check this out and was riveted. I was riveted by uh, Megan's story and I felt that she spoke to the, uh, you know, what was happening in her world on a microcosmic level was happening in the whole world. Issues of racism and mental health and family breakdown, family troubles, um, you know, the issue of the media attacking her, I thought was so... Um, so powerfully portrayed and so i do think oprah was the best person for that because mm -hmm. oprah carries a lot of weight in our world and uh she is also the media and she was giving an opportunity for them to tell their story and to be believed mm -hmm. you know i think uh rana you were speaking of that so well in that you know we have to believe people when they're saying I was, I was, you know, I was being attacked for the color of my skin. We can't just say, no, we don't think that you were. No, we believe her just like we believe her struggle with mental health and, you know, the courage it must have taken for them to make that move. I mean, my gosh. So I, I do, um, I have to say, I learned a lot from the interview and I was, uh, I think it will have a powerful effect on people's ability to speak up. <clears throat> and especially when I think of the media and the way they went after her, I see that as it's, it is what happens to all of us who are women, who identify as women, when we think of putting something out there even like not nearly as controversial as that, but anything, when we think of putting something out there in the back of our head is, but I could be taken down by the media. I could be taken down by other people. And I think it is a way of controlling uh, our words, controlling what we put out there. It's a real fear uh, that we could get attacked. And a lot of, you know, we were having this conversation last week about politics, about Rana, you weren't here. We had a great conversation about um, why women don't go into pol political power and, and taking on political office. Well, um, it was Susie who said, uh, 
you know, there's a very real fear that, you know, you put yourself out there and you are putting yourself up for possible judgment, criticism, personality, and they go for your personality and your appearance and your mothering and your, you know, all the things that are so personal, um, they, they go for that. So, um, you know, I, I thought it was a very important conversation to have and to shine the light on it and to hear the side of Megan saying, you know, and I hope people heard that message when she was saying that wasn't true. You know, we are so often inundated with the media and all these things uh, that they are putting out about people. And she was just saying that didn't happen that way. And, you know, I think more and more people need to hear that. Mm -hmm. You know, we cannot just accept what is being put out there. We have to be able to take a critical look at media, how it's portraying women. I thought they did a really good job of showing the difference between how Kate was portrayed in the media and how Megan was. Very telling. And it showed the racism there and it showed the... Um, the pointed uh, attack on her. And so, yeah, I thought it was a very, uh, very powerful, uh, very powerful conversation opener, conversation starter. And uh, yeah, I, I was very impressed. And, uh, you know, I'm sure uh, Kirsten and, and uh, Robin can talk about the, the mental health uh, issues that she brought up as well. It was, it was very, um, um giving people a voice for people who are struggling and normalizing that conversation mm -hmm. i thought was also powerful well okay then i guess i will go to kirsten or, and robin uh you know we all have our preconceived ideas of the royal family and and you know it's prince and princess living in a castle obviously having duties Obviously, having the media at their whatever, following their every move. Uh, Megan would know something about what she was getting into. Obviously, not to this sort of point where it has caused her so much grief. But the mental health issue and then, you know, trying to figure out how you can keep your own identity while you're in this whole different environment that's trying to mold you into something else. Um, Robin, I mean, isn't that kind of even a powder cake before you, <laughs> before you even, um, or is love, is love is blind and, and oh, I'm going to change everything. And uh, I, yeah. I, look, I, I think when you look in from the outside, even if you think you have a vague idea, it, and it doesn't actually matter what family you go into, right? Mm -hmm. Theirs is very public. Mm -hmm. But you have this perception of families and you hear the person you're dating, their discussion of the family, and you just go in there thinking, I'm just going to be me and me's enough. And I think... Um, I think the hardest thing is it's so public for so many people when they're like a public figure that any move they make is either smashed, oh, you're awful, you did this, or isn't that amazing? And, and you're kind of at the whim of the world. And unless, actually, even if you're super strong, like being at the whim of the world is horrible. Like when you wander around and and people come up to you in a public place and they think you're a particular way and you just can't be you. It's super different, but Charlotte gives me talks all the time about when I'm doing keynotes, be very careful not to be alone with people, right? Never be alone because some people have said, oh, you know, Robin said this to me and I'm like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And so I think at that level of public scrutiny, you don't have a shit show. Sorry, I just put it bluntly. <laughs> but I, I think I loved the fact that they talked really openly. Both of them talked about their mental health. 
And I think I want to get to a world where we just are having a chat with a friend and say, God, today sucked. I really felt like I really felt like I was done today and I just wanted to to kill myself. And I get that's not how I am right now. Or like this is how it's felt for a while. Can we just talk? Mm-hmm. Instead we still have people that are like, Well, that's not true. You have all these cool things. Or uh, um people look like deer in the headlights and and really you and I've talked Tracy if we can just sit with people and find out what has them feel that way then we have a shot at this but we don't we get into our head about oh my god we have to have a professional and actually we have to have someone with compassion and empathy that will want to hear what's happening for us Mm -hmm. as a starter um and so I, I, I just, I applaud both of them for actually putting themselves out there to be more cut down than they've ever been mm-hmm. to stand up for what they believe in. Well, I think they definitely get more empathy and encouragement from North Americans <laughs> as opposed to obviously what Cynthia said <laughs> back in England, no one's talking about it. Well, I've heard a lot of people like just say horrific things about them here. Oh, really? Like I've heard a lot of people in North America say equally scathing things as anything I've seen anywhere else in the world. Hmm. Um, and like, and maybe they don't put it out there as publicly as the English tabloids or something, but I've heard lots of conversations of people going, what right have they got to do that? Rich bastards talking about this. And you're like, it doesn't matter whether you have billions or whether you have nothing. If you're in a place that has you feel like there's no reason for being here, then what are we doing? And I think sometimes we forget that even people with money mm-hmm. deal with mental health stuff. And we, have a, we don't have a system designed to help them. They're the, you know, I've, I've shared often about my brother, right? Mm-hmm. Like the system wasn't there because they're like, well, you're okay. You've earned a lot your whole life. And, and so I think as a society, we need to look at, do we actually allow people to talk about their true feelings or are we just going to pretend and be fake forever? Mm. That's, that's another question for another show. But uh, oh, so Kirsten, I'll get you into this conversation with your family expertise. Um, you know, Robin had touched on that. I mean, with mental health and the anguish, obviously that Megan spoke about. Uh, you tend to be in a silo and think that you're all alone. Obviously, she didn't have the support of, you know, the majority of the royal family. But even her own husband, like, and obviously Harry was struggling too. But does that sometimes? you're butting too much together, right? Because you're in the same thing and you're feeling the same angst. I guess my question is, is that sometimes, and you, and you might have seen that with husbands and wives dealing with, you know, a, a mental health issue, either with their son or daughter or whomever, um, they can't relate to each other anymore, right? Yeah, you know, that's actually, that's, that's a good question. Um, when it comes to the interview between Megan and Harry, I first have to say I was absolutely um, like from the first five minutes, I was tuned in and I, I was so impressed um, and I applaud their uh, courage to really all they did was tell their story and they told it in the most respectful way and they completely owned their story. And I didn't, I didn't hear them throwing anyone under the bus or any, like they were so careful to tell their story without um, coming across as negative on the institution or individuals. Um, they were negative on the system, the institution, not individuals. But um, yeah, I, I'm shocked that she was struggling to the depths that she was and she was reaching out for help as he was. 
and it was inaccessible even at that level. Mm-hmm. So on um, everybody's mind these days, especially during COVID, that that she actually went to the HR of the palace trying to get um, access to help. Um, yeah, that that absolutely shocked me. Um, yeah, and you, I found that they were very together on that interview. I found that they were incredibly supportive. They they uh, shared um, their own. They shared their own experience of their story. There wasn't a conflict between the two of them. Um, but to think that you couldn't actually access help and that you you spoke of it and it was uh, just, there was a, such a barrier at that level. And as Robin said, I've seen lots of memes um, and lots of negative talk, especially on social media about, oh, rich people talking about rich. Like it was, it's, it's so awful and so mean as if somebody who has um, a position of power or wealth can't actually suffer with being real and, and having um, a mental health struggle. Um, and really mean, mean comments. I find it's a great conversation starter right now. And I love to ask people, um, you know, not, not in my work days, but in my family. And, you know, so what do you think? And I'm getting all sorts of answers, even knowing what I do and what my family's been through. Um, one family member who I love and adore dearly, I won't say their name, was like, well, she's not tough enough. She just couldn't hack it. Diana could have hacked it. She never complained. (laughs) What? Um, And that was an older uh, generation. But yeah, so um, all sorts of crazy things have come out of this. But um, I just wanted to go back to um, both Rana and uh, Linda said, you know, they, they touched on just the power and the courage of telling their story um, and, and going forward and, and how that was uh, so beneficial for so many people to, to be able to tell their truth. Um, yeah, and I, I, I just, I applaud, I applaud them for what they did. And I didn't really think much of the royal family before that interview. Um, they just didn't cross my mine very often and um now i'm like i'm team megan and harry all the way all (laughs) the way yeah (laughs) that's fabulous so i want to throw it out there like uh, okay so you know like you said the negative comments about oh those rich people and blah 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 they have everything why is it that mental health just doesn't garner the same sympathy or whatever if they had cancer or if they had some debilitating disease, MS, you know, or I, I can throw out a hundred different diseases and everybody going, oh, that's so terrible. I feel so awful. But why can't we all like mental health and mental well-being is the same thing as health. Okay, Robin, you're, you're shaking your, your hands. Because we have media that like put stuff out there like there's a mass shooting and obviously it's the crazy mental health person they never come back and say oh they did an assessment and they don't have a mental health diagnosis many of the mass shootings have this stuff about crazy person did this checking mental health status they never tell the story about that's not what happened Mm -hmm. right because people want to look for an excuse. You have to be crazy to do this. So we create this fear. We have this thing with police. We're going out on calls and like not diminishing any other group dying, but people with mental health issues die all the time on police calls. There's cases where someone's holding a stick. They're like, 20 meters away and they're shot dead and they're like oh they were very aggressive and so i and i want to say i this i'm not having a go at the police right Mm -hmm. there's places where they're doing more training and they're supporting people to be able to chat with people but i just think we have sensation stuff about if you have a mental health issue this is awful So nobody comes to you in the inpatient unit with flowers and goes, and a get well card. They like go, oh, uh, I'll see them when they get out. And it's because 
We don't normalise it. We don't go, mental health is on a continuum. And some days it's great and some days the wheels are falling off and it's awful. And let's just talk about it and let's be open about it. And we're scared of someone that talks about hearing voices or seeing things instead of asking them what that experience is like. What's that? I haven't experienced that. What's that feel like for you? Let's have a chat. Instead, we're like, let's put them away. Let's stop whatever's happening instead of like exploring who that person is, what their experience is and what it can be. So we've created this fear of like mental health issues. Oh, that's those crazy people. Whereas the rest of us get cancer and COVID and let's talk about that. And until we normalise that everyone deals with mental health, some of us are dealing with things that are a little more significant. Mm -hmm. According according to the DSM-5, the book, I am a seriously mentally ill person. But, you know, I think I can hold my own with all of you without, like, getting my crazy on well I don't know maybe I do get it on but but you know when I say to people I have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder sometimes I see people go like this and I'm like I'm like I'm just a regular person I deal with stuff I deal with my mental health I choose to do it without medication some people I know do it with meds I'm not anti or pro but let's just talk about it and I think there's a catch 22 if every single person that dealt with mental health stuff stood up and said I have a mental health issue the world would be like oh wow it's everywhere yeah. <laughs> but people don't because of the stigma and discrimination that comes with it oh my I told geez. you about I wanted to Permanent residency. Let's see if you're a risk to Canadian society first. Like, really? So I wanted to to jump on that, though, Robin, because when it comes to mental health and and bringing flowers to an inpatient ward, um, when it comes to family being being struggling with mental health and spending time in the hospital, nobody says, oh, they had a heart attack or they broke their leg or they're in the hospital. It's like, I didn't want to tell anyone. wasn't sure how to feel about it nobody talks like what are we doing like we need to normalize it because just like physical health on that continuum our mental health is shifting and moving all the time why can't we why can't we just normalize it sorry go ahead Cynthia I'm rambling on no you're not rambling it's always wonderful to hear you Uh, is she on on mute nope we're not getting your audio, Cynthia. Try, try now, Cynthia. Huh. Oh, they can all hear her. What's happening? Did something get unplugged?
I am the host now? depression all the time or you have anxiety all the time and that's who you are you're in a box and now you're an, an anxious or depressed person it's 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 a part of life that probably most people go through at certain times or another and some more than others um and the stigma is incredible the stigma in families is unbelievable Kristen, you mentioned about yeah be you know when people talk about their teens this the thing just seems to be is to get on board with the conversation of my teen as being a jerk and this and that and whatever else versus he or she's struggling and he or she is not enjoying the online school uh, time and he or she is worried about climate change or depressed or being bullied or whatever it happens to be it's a lot easier to say because then you can get in with the rest of the group and complain about it that your teen is is just being a jerk um and in most cases, there's reasons behind that, but that's not the conversations that people are having. We're staying away from the discussion about, you know, I have relatives in my family who are experiencing severe mental illness, and that's part of their experience. Or, um, you know, people in my world who have uh, died from suicide because of some men mental health challenges, mental illness. It's, it's so bizarre as far as I'm concerned that these kinds of conversations can't happen and don't happen, but they don't. I think we're getting better, but then sometimes we step back and, um, and then we're right back there again. And, and uh, I shake my head, but when it comes to like, for example, people who are wealthy or powerful or in, in positions of, of royalty, uh, like Meghan and Harry, Try and imagine if they wanted to step into a 12-step group meeting and sit down and have a conversation, an open conversation with a group of people who are saying, this is my experience today and, and we're going to talk about step five or whatever it is. They don't have that, that luxury of being able to connect with just other people who are going through the same thing. They, if they can, go and get some uh, professional help, but even then, you, you may wonder in the back of your mind, is this going to be a book in, in a month or two or a year or two because this person is now telling all even though they said they're not supposed to. Um, I, I think they're in a really, really tough space that you know is not necessarily the same case for uh, the regular folk who can access some of these things. It's not an easy, it's not an easy um, situation at all. Hey, yeah. there, are, uh, there are actually a number of groups designed specifically for um, different celebrities there are groups designed for different occupations that there are actually quite a lot of peer support networks out there designed for like all of those and I uh my understanding is that that are actually connected to some of those okay good didn't know that really good to hear well i am so happy that susie has joined us so i know susie that we had talked before about all these different things so yes of course the topic was megan and harry's interview and the ripple effect or as cynthia has told us in england not too much <laughs> yeah that's not surprising hey cynthia yeah i was i'm sorry i had to miss um the earlier part but uh, i can only imagine um what Cynthia on the ground had to say over there. You're our London correspondent now, Cynthia. I Look at you. I love it. Okay. This is so great. We have we have boots on the ground in London. How amazing. <laughs> in the UK. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that um that like Robin is right and Susan is right in that um you know, people talk about privilege, right? And yes, there are obviously inherent amounts of privilege here, but I think what people forget is that despite the privilege, which can also be a hampering, I think in some cases, is that the feelings that people have are the same. The emotions are the same. Whether you're a millionaire, a princess, or a pauper, the emotions are the same. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand. And, um, you know, a couple months ago, uh, Justin Bieber, uh, his latest song is called Lonely. Yeah. 
right? And I heard that song for the first time in my car as by myself, thank goodness. And I started sobbing because it's actually the saddest song I've ever heard in my life. And I don't, I don't even know if, if you can consider it a song per se. It's a cry for help, that song. Mm-hmm. And as a mother, as a mother, I heard that song and here was this, you know, young man and everyone's going to say, oh, he's rich and he's famous and he has all these things. Those things are true. He absolutely does. But what he doesn't have is peace and privacy and the ability to make mistakes and get over those mistakes without the whole world looking at that. And how, you, how can you imagine somebody having all the stuff, right? They have all the stuff. They have all the cars, all the security, all the, all the you know, food and, and shelter that they could possibly need, but there's still an aching loneliness inside. If that's not the saddest thing, to have all those things and still have nothing, really, it's heartbreaking. And the, the song, I think, talks about how he's probably considered what his life would be like or what the world would be like without him here because he figures, I have all this stuff and I'm still not happy. I'm still not satisfied. So you can translate that to what Harry and Megan or anybody else famous is going through. The emotions are the same, right? So we have to have compassion for that human experience, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, the Harry and Megan thing is, is even more challenging because we don't understand the trauma that Harry went through when he, we lost his mother. And to me... Again, as a mother, I look at him and he thinks, I am not going to let this happen again. I mm-hmm. couldn't protect my mother. I was 12 years old. I was a child. But there's no way, no way in hell this is happening to my mother and my child now. So for him to do whatever it takes to get out of that situation, how can you fault him for that, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to understand, too, like when it comes to what a modern royal family looks like, and let's not forget, they are still the royal family, this part of the family. Mm-hmm. William knows what his role is. Kate, the Duchess, knows what her role was going to be. And we have to understand that there's a division right there. And we knew that those roads would diverge at one point. But to me, I think that it speaks to uh, a greater emotional um, deficit in that family that was never approached or healed in the wake of Diana's death. Now, again, I'm just, I'm not a family member. Not None of us are. We don't know what their dynamics are. But I think it's safe to say that every family has their problems and they are no exception. They are the same as us in that respect. <laughs> Susie, I wanted to ask you too, uh, what was your, uh, what, what what were you, was your feeling or thought um, when Megan told Oprah about uh, concerns about the color of the baby's skin? And that left Oprah speechless, which... I can honestly say that if you are a woman of color who has married into uh, a Caucasian family or whatever, you've heard that comment. You absolutely have heard that comment. And um, maybe not from a family member, but you've heard the comment. And, um, you know, I was chatting with you privately about this as we were talking about this show. And my mom used to tell me when I was little, they'd be at the store. My dad is um, slipping and he's white. My mom's Filipina. So people had not seen interracial couples at that point. This is 1974. Oh, I just told my age. Darn it. Um, anyway. 84. 84. <laughs> I was hoping I could hide behind 29 for a few more years. Anyway, and they would ask her if they could look in the in the carriage. And she thought it was it was fun. You know, like she, my mom is so lovely and so um she's a bit naive, but she never saw any malice in it. Okay. And again, it was a different time, right? Mm -hmm. So she just thought people were curious and yes, there is a hint of curiosity there. Right. But then there's the line where it goes from curiosity to grotesque. And I think that when it comes from a family member that is completely, completely out of the realm of exception of acceptable. And, um, you know, I think it speaks to the larger problems of, you know, what people think they can get away with saying. Mm -hmm. And regardless of what Harry's relationships are with his family members, um, I think that it would come as quite a shock to Harry 
for him to realize that such racism persists in his family, that he was completely, I wouldn't want to say completely unaware, but he had blinders on until he brought Megan into that situation. Now, again, if you are an interracial couple, you have lived this, you know this, you've experienced it, and it doesn't phase you per se. You've braced yourself for it since the beginning of your relationship, but it happens nonetheless. Now, what does that mean? You know, for him to say, I'm never going to talk about that conversation. Yes, it's private, but it also means that there was a lot of scarring there. So somebody mm -hmm. that he loved and trusted dearly said this heinous thing to him. And to him, it probably changed his perception of that person forever. Be and, and rightfully so, because if you love me, you want to welcome my new girlfriend, my new wife, my new baby into this family. And you have the nerve to say that to me? Like you actually let those words leave your mouth? There's no excuse for it, right? So in my experience, it wasn't a family member. It was a neighbor of my mother-in-law's actually. And I used to go over to her place once a week when, uh, when my first was little. And we would just sit and have coffee and watch the baby play, whatever. And this neighbor who was, you know, as the same age as my mother-in-law, if not older, said to her uh, when Jack was first born, does the baby look like his father or like his mother? And my mother-in-law was just like, well, I don't know. She's like, he kind of looks like, like uh, my son. And she's just like, no. And then she like rubbed her arm. And my mother-in-law was, you know, still kind of confused. And then she's looking and she, and then she finally got it. And she's just like, Oh my God. Like my mother-in-law was just like, get out of here. Like she said, I think she said something like that is the most ridiculous question I've ever heard or whatever and put this person in their place. But then she told me this and it was just like, Oh yeah. Like heard that my whole life, you know, kind of thing. But she could not believe that someone would have the nerve to say that out loud to her about her son, about her grandson. But that is the, um, the brazenness of racism. It comes out even when the person knows they shouldn't, even if they're speaking in hushed tones and, it, and they look at you like, oh, well, what did I say? You said something racist. That's what you said. You said something ridiculous, you know? So I think that for sure there's hurt and pain there. And um, I, I think that I think that Harry is, uh, is heartbroken. I really think he's heartbroken by the rejection from his family. And the realization that all was not as it seemed. And again, if you are in an interracial relationship or whatever kind of relationship you have where there's uh, a marginalized person or a disadvantage, whatever, you come to realize what that disadvantage means when someone you love, you are now by proxy side by side to their lived experience. And it opens up your eyes to a whole new level of microaggressions and things that you didn't understand before and didn't know existed to that level. Wow, by the sounds of you did, but now you've seen them in action and you're shocked. Yeah. So it, so you're saying that possibly Prince Harry has a lot more on his plate than Meghan. You know, I actually do because I feel like he's lost so much. Mhm. Mm and I feel like if his mother were here, she could coach him through this, right? Because she's been through this. She would know what to say and to give him support and things like that. But he doesn't have that sounding board. And I'm sure there are people in his life on the Spencer side who are very close to him and who are helping him through this. But I still feel like he is shouldering tremendous loss. Mm -hmm. And that loss is painful. And, you know, when we heard that his dad was not taking his calls, that blew me away as well because I, I couldn't understand that. I couldn't fathom that, um, to not be there for your child. Um, but I think, again, Megan was more, uh, I don't want to say she was ready for it, but she wasn't surprised, okay? She wasn't surprised. This was not, you know, anything that was out of the realm of possibility for her. She was just like, oh, there's the other shoe. It's dropped. Okay, we know where we are now, you know? Yeah, but for him, he's still coming to that realization that, or living with the with the realization of what reality is now for them and that it is that they are on the other side and the family needs to really come and make amends whatever that looks like whether it's privately you know i would certainly not want to have my my life drama play out on the world stage so i i have sympathy for that absolutely yeah because sometimes people do horrible things and say horrible things. And, and the presser that William did earlier this week saying, we are absolutely not a racist family. Um, have you been to the British Museum? It's an entire building full of what has happened. Like it, it was not the right thing to say. So 
there are major, major realizations that have to come to fruition. And I also think that Harry has somewhat sheltered the queen from what has been happening. I don't think that he has been bringing all of these microaggressions to her attention because she's older, right? Mm -hmm. They have a special relationship. And I think that she was doing her best. You know, Megan says that, you know, they have a great relationship. He has spoken about how they Zoom and they chat with Archie and things like that. He's trying to shelter her, I think, because he loves her and he has that special relationship. But ultimately, she is the queen. Mm -hmm. She is the ruler. And even though she's old, she could box Charles's ears and say, smarten up. You need to do what's right for your child here. You need to do what's right for your son. And she could decree in her family, that's it. This is enough. We need these people in the fold. Whatever it takes, we need to make that happen. So as the matriarch, I look at her and think, why aren't you wielding that scepter in your own family? Let's, let's clean house here, okay? This is your grandchild and your great-grandson now. They deserve better. So I think for her, she needs to face that as well. Now, again, she's the queen. Is she going to? I don't know. No. But if I were the queen, if I were the matriarch, <laughs> that's what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. Oh, so, Rana, you've been sitting there. Oh, mm. I know. Biting your tongue. No. Well, okay, so a question, too, about biracial marriages. And for you. I mean, would that be a, a big, obviously a big decision? Or, I don't think so. No, no, no. I don't think, I, I don't think, um, I don't think that it would ever be, it's not really in my realm of like, you know, a checklist of what somebody has to be. It never has been um, at all. Um, I'm just very aware. And I don't know. I think it's just, maybe I'm just going through a phase. I don't know what it is, but I'm very aware of truth and I don't know perhaps it's just a time where we all hit that point where you suddenly don't see the BS anymore <laughs> um, so no I, I don't have that in my mind um, I'm very aware of different um, you know different people reacting to couples or peoples in different ways um, you know I basically it's not something that I really think about but I just want to kind of go back to the Megan and Harry thing because mm -hmm. I, I literally can't stomach it um, there's a big, there's two big parts of this conversation that I think need to be brought to the forefront. There's all this talk, right? We're all talking about, oh, this person did this and this person did that. What we're actually talking about is systemic racism, right? The mm -hmm. issue when every one of us is talking about systemic racism, whether it's in Canada, whether it's in the royal family, whether it's anywhere else, this is not just call up one person and everyone will get set straight. These are institutionally, um, for, for hundreds of years, systems in place that have supported the marginalization and the racialization of people. That's what the issue is within that family. So, so, I, so I think that it's, it's always really important to, to be, be very mindful about, about the context of what we're talking about. And then the second thing, you know, if we're, if, you know, yes, Megan would have known, right? For sure, she would have known. She would have had some concept of what she was walking into. Definitely not to the degree that it ended up, ended up. But like, you know, her like this is this is not just about one person. Like this is like, and and I guess I guess that's where I'm kind of having a, an issue, kind of stomaching just you know the, the the comments and what people are saying and stuff like that because i think we're missing the systemic part but we're also missing the part where where there's history in that family of racial issues like this isn't like oh like what a magical thing how could you say such a thing um your entire history is colonial like what are we even talking about right now <laughs> like you know what i mean so did she have the guts to go out and say it absolutely i think the unique the unique part the, the, the part that I would have like, oh, that's really damaging is her mental that that's the part is the fact that she was dealing with mental issues. If there's a surprise, it shouldn't be a surprise. But if there's something that should draw more attention to all of us, it's the mental issue part. If people are actually questioning the race issue or not understanding what is actually being said between the lines, you literally don't understand your own country's systemic racism. You don't understand other countries' colonial actions throughout history, whether it's Canada um, or any any other place that the British went to. 
you just don't get it. And I think perhaps people need to read up, read up on history. Like, sorry, but, 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 but start, start understanding and start learning. These aren't just one-off issues, right? Like they're bigger and they're, they're deep rooted. Um, but going back to what, you know, always Susie, and we kind of have that, there's a little comment here. We love when Susie comes in under fire or fired up because it's always so much fun. Um, but then going back to your other question, um, would it be a thought in my head about, you know, dating somebody racialized? I don't, I have no concept of that. I just, you know, I think that if people make a decision every day to be good to each other, well, life would be probably a lot better, right? You know, start being better, be good people. Not everything's about you. Not everything's about your ego and how you feel. Sometimes traumatized people are allowed to have the space to speak their truth. So every time they do, let's just applaud. Let's just <laughs> applaud. Good for you. Good for you for talking about your mental issues. Good for you for talking about your racialized challenges. We support you. We don't even make a decision about whether it's right or wrong or whether it's true or not. We just, we, we, we got you, right? We got you. Let somebody else deal with the other shit. Let's just, let's just support you. So that's mine. That's my two cents on that. Oh, Rana. No. And, and I totally understand where you're coming from. And you know what? I think it's, well, I, I mean, it is the pandemic and everything it has changed Can our I world and the way and and stuff that we've been exposed to and and it's brought out the ugliness as well but this ugliness we are now realizing isn't new it is it is like years and years and years and years old um and i and i want to continue this conversation because i think um the whole it was interesting because so my husband is irish ukrainian and i said well you know, did you ever get asked, like, what our color of our son's skin? And, and he laughed and he says, no. And, and then he kind of thought and he said, well, you know what? I, I think because my mom came from immigrant parents and they had absolutely nothing and they worked the land and uh, they always had that idea of inviting everybody er an inclusive community because they were all in it together, right? trying to make a, a, a new life and, and betterment. And there were no egos or anything like that. So, you know, history does have a tendency of repeating itself. So Rana, maybe, you know, maybe ladies, we start the work here. It was so great to Susan and, and talking about being positive. Cynthia, you are welcome anytime. If there's any changes on the street in London, Yes, our London correspondent. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. Can I add one more thing, yes. Tracy? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's, I don't even know what the word is, but there's a word for it. I'm sure if you guys can find it, please help me. But I think it's fascinating that uh, Harry and Meghan got to tell a story about racism and ostracization from Britain in the US after everything that we've been through in the four years and yes. for Americans and their media to gasp in shock and go, how does this happen? That to me was a whole other arc and that's a whole other angle that is amazing to me because it's just like, it's like pot kettle and it's just like <laughs> you're going from one hot frying pan to the next and it's unbelievable. So anything that can make Americans feel smug about their racism is just wild to me. Well, I heard that uh, rumor that Donald Trump will be doing the next interview with William and Kate. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think I'd get on the ground and stop that. <laughs> Anyways, it has been a real pleasure. Thank you for joining me a little bit earlier. Um, and uh, next week, we're going to uh, meet uh, a parent who's on a the advocacy board for school bands. So it's all about, you know, bringing back stuff into the schools again and, uh, you know, talk about that, how it's kind of not only it gets the kids now doing what they love, but it's also how it has a whole effect on the whole family. So Kirsten, you're going to love that one. Yeah. And, and I want to continue this, com this conversation on, on the racial issue. And because next week, I also want to remind everybody it's anti-racism week from March 21st to the 27th. So there's a whole bunch of different workshops and whatever to do. Great for family too as well, all on the website, winnipeg.ca. And the big kickoff is on Sunday at 2 p.m. So you can go to the website, winnipeg.ca or our website, ilikeyou.com for the big opening video. So it's pretty wonderful, some pretty amazing speakers. 
and it's all about what we've been talking about today. Um, so it's all about taking action. And I want to give up a shout out to Linda's on our Hewitt home this week. And very, very good. It's all about teaching us how to create new beliefs. So what we've been talking about here, um, yeah, it, it's really, really interesting. And, uh, and Susan, you are always welcome too, to drop in. 11.30 on Tuesday. Okay? So love you all, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Tracy. Thank Bye, everybody. Take care, everyone. Have a great Have week. One. Take Bye. care. Bye. 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 I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.